Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought it would be a good time to revisit talking about the current czar of Russia, uh, Mr. P- Putin. Uh, what has he been up to lately, Jim? Well, he's apparently, uh, in theory, he's at the end of his career. I mean, he could uh, do what he did earlier. Uh, you can only serve two terms as uh, president in the Russian, according to the Constitution. And he already did the, the flip, as it were, where he uh, had uh, he, uh, 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 Mr. Mendeyev, a close associate, uh, run for president and appoint him prime minister for five years, and then he'd go for another ten. Uh Apparently, he's not going to do that. There's not much talk about that. In fact, there's a lot of talk in Russia about who will follow Putin, uh, what will follow Putin. Uh, He may just bow out because he's a smart guy, uh, and I think he understands. I mean, we certainly understand that his strategy page, that Russia is in bad shape. Uh, In fact, he's doing worse than the surveys of of, of late, which is unusual because he's basically been a very successful populist. Um, But uh, he he basically never recovered uh, from the financial crash of uh, 2008. He did basically get credit for uh, turning the Russian economy around after the financial disasters of the 1990s. but he's, his, his moves since, you know, basically 2008 with Georgia and then with Ukraine, uh, with the Middle East, uh, a, a lot of Russians understand that Russia has no cards to play with. The economy is a mess. Um, they, uh, uh, they allow, uh, you know, fairly, um, how should I put it, accurate public, uh, you know, opinion polls to be published. Uh, when he was in the uh, KGB in the 1980s, he was familiar with the private polling uh, that the KGB did for the government uh, via their informant network. It was rather unscientific, but apparently pretty accurate. Um, and that showed that, you know, the, uh, you know, the Russia was coming apart, not just economically, uh, but in terms of the uh, loyalty, as it were, of the Russian people to whoever was uh, currently running the country. And he may see that those symptoms again, uh, because Russia is in terrible shape. Uh, he has always been maintained that uh, they have found ways to overcome the sanctions uh, and, the, and the apparently permanent decline in the price of oil. Um, but as a practical matter, uh, the economy keeps getting worse. The uh, the surveys of uh, poverty keep showing that more and more Russians are poor. Uh, surveys of uh, intention to immigrate indicate more and more Russians want to get out of Russia. And this is particularly acute among the educated Russians, uh, the ones who are, are more than happy to get a good job and stay in Russia. But if there are no jobs to be had, well, let's get out of here. Um so he is faced with a basically unsolvable economic situation. Uh, he could, you know, uh, basically uh, just, you know, get out of Ukraine and um, and sort of, you know, make apologies, whatever, and get out from under the sanctions. But he can't 
there's no way he can easily fix the uh, the oil problem. Uh, like I say, he's a he's a KGB guy, the best and the brightest. You know, in the West, uh, people like that would go into uh, be running corporations, would be lawyers, uh, you know, have uh, be entrepreneurs. Uh, but in Russia, the only option you really had was to uh, go into the KGB and hope you didn't get shot for, you know, stepping on the wrong toes. The um, uh, the KGB never uh, revived itself. Uh, he brought in a lot of his old cronies or, or veterans of the KGB. He was a junior guy when he retired. He was a lieutenant colonel in, uh, you know, during the 1991 coup. He said he turned in his papers. But... Um, uh, he really had no future in the KGB because he jumped into politics and did very well. I think he understood he had a future there. And many of the senior officials in Russia, you know, since the 1990s, have been former KGB men. In fact, they have uh, something of what they call a little mafia of their own. Uh, they do understand if you were a KGB man, uh, you were basically, you know, loyal and intelligent and also fast on your feet. Um, and uh, that has not worked out well for Russia because they never made the reforms. They never cracked down on the corruption as much as they had to in order to uh, give Russia a, how should I put it, a world-class economic in, a, you know, atmosphere, which they to this day do not have. Um, and I think he realizes that, you know, the end game, it's best that he not be associated with it, uh, because the, uh, it, uh, Russia has now become an economic vassal of China. Uh, Chinese now for the first time in modern history have a, a, a more powerful and more modern military than Russia does. Uh, the latest scandal that he cannot find a fix for is the state of the Russian military, which uh, it recently came out. They tried to keep it secret for years. Uh, when they when they knocked the um, uh, conscription term uh, down to a year, nearly about a decade ago, uh, under public pressure, uh, they found that one year was not enough in most cases to train somebody to do a, a useful job. Most of those jobs are in the army, and, and even then, you know, the combat commanders were complaining that the, uh, the, you know, the conscripts were even less enthusiastic soldiers than they were during the Soviet Union period, and um, they uh, could not discipline them, you know, the way the, the Soviets did, uh, and basically they were lousy troops, and as we pointed out years ago, uh, you know, and I've been taking that into account. The only effective troops, the dependable troops the Russian military has, are about 100,000 uh, special operations, Spetsnaz, uh, airborne, air mobile. Uh, these are the troops that they can basically send anywhere to do anything at any time. But that's it. And even at that, the uh, the army and the uh, and the, uh, the interior ministry, uh, you know, the old KGB, the national police. Uh, they're supposed to have a strength of a little over a million, and they can't maintain that because the, uh, the, the, the internal police, they also depend upon conscription. Um, and so Russia is basically defenseless. They have their nukes, but that's an all or nothing you know, weapon. Even the Chinese aren't afraid of the Russian nukes. Uh, you know, the, the Chinese basically have the Russians by the bank, bank book, by the, you know, their, their, their wallet, and there's nothing in the Russian wallet. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Chinese could at any moment 
uh, uh, you know, revive their claims to far eastern Russia, uh, the areas, you know, around Manchuria, uh, which the uh, Chinese never basically give up those terms. They made that very clear several times during the Cold War, which brought a period of hot war, of border fighting between Russia and uh, China. Um, and uh, even after the uh, Soviet Union, you know, uh, fell apart, the Chinese quietly repeated that they have not given up their claims. So Putin, uh, for all that he's done, I mean, he had basically stabilized the economy back when there was more of an economy to deal with. Um, and he has been pretty clever by Russian standards in dealing with Western Europe and many other uh, parts of the world, like uh, the Middle East, but he has nothing to deal with. Um, and now the economy's in decline. There was a golden age before the uh, oil price plummeted and the uh, sanctions came into effect, uh, and that's gone, and he really can't turn that around in the short amount of time he's got left. So uh, his... His accomplishments are hollow now because of the mistakes he made, and he's got no way to recover. So basically, politically, he has no future and a very cloudy past. Austin? Well, um, remember that the character that Dracula is based on was uh, a guy called Vlad the uh, Impaler. He was uh, a uh, lord... I forget the term that was used. It was you know, in Wallachia in the of 15th century. Uh, Vlad the Impaler. Well, now we have Vlad the Imploder is what my uh, uh, joke would be in, in talking about uh, Putin. I want to clarify something. You, you go back through some of the uh, forum chats on the strategy page, and you'll see a couple of uh, characters in there who said, Austin Bay thinks uh, Vladimir Putin's a genius. No, I don't. I think he's very, very cunning. And uh, Jim, Jim, you said he made lieutenant colonel. Uh, the, what I read about it, he made full colonel in the KGB. If he made lieutenant colonel, fine. He's still a muckety muck, and you know he's an a, a uh, an operative, maybe a junior a junior level. But to carry that kind of rank in the in the in the KG, KGB, he's as as you acknowledge, he's got to be smart and uh, uh, clever. Now that the, the, the the commenters saying Bay thinks he's a genius is because I pointed out in several columns. I mean, let's let's start with with some really 2008 with the Russo-Georgia War. But you can also go back to some of the things uh, I wrote in in my uh, Creator Syndicate column on on point, and also some of the coverage that Jim's had uh, on uh, in, in, on the strategy page since the early the 2000s about Russia is that Putin has a knack. Jim said he had a political gift. Yes, a political gift for sensing and speaking to some of the desires, especially the grievances of a number of the Russian people. He's done it in terms of economics. He's done it in terms of the, the loss of the Soviet Union, greatest catastrophe, and that is the translation of that, is the best translation of what he said of the, of the 20th century. I happen to disagree that the loss of the Soviet Union was, I thought it was one of the better things that occurred in the, uh, in the 20th century, but Vlad and I'll just have to agree to uh, disagree on that. Uh, some of the other things he spoke to, and this was in the 90s, about the security issue with all the attacks by the 
various Caucasian uh, Islamist uh, ex extremist groups and his willingness uh, uh, to confront them. Uh, part of this is also coming and portraying himself as the Russian strongman, the, the latest Ivan uh, 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 the Terrible uh, uh, czar who will uh, confront uh, Russia's enemies. As a KGB man, he's also a propagandist who, if where there aren't enemies, he will create them. Uh, he'll turn Estonians, Lithuanians, Latvians, Finns, Swedes. He doesn't want to say Finns and Swedes, but uh, that's, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll turn Balts and Nordics, Poles, uh, Romanians for sure, and the United States and NATO, NATO, their enemies major enemies, and uh, they must be confronted, and he's the man, he's the czar, strong enough to confront them. Now, when I said that I thought he was cunning, I think he follows, a, 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 well, this is a, a, a classic uh, authoritarian leader's uh, uh, operation. Lenin, <laughs> Lenin spoke to it, is that you drive the dagger deep until you encounter something hard. Uh, he sensed, Putin sensed, that the United States was overextended in 2008. He was concerned, too, about Georgia joining, uh, joining NATO. Remember, Georgia had a brigade in Iraq at the time. Even though, to go back to July, August of, of, of 2000, 2008, the surge has begun to succeed and is succeeding. Uh, in Iraq, but Bush is on, he's, George W. Bush is terribly uh, well, under a constant assault by the uh, uh, American media. Uh, there is a presidential election going on in 2008 uh, between McCain uh, and Obama. And here was an opportunity to, again, uh, act on behalf of, of threatened Russian minorities or pro-Russian minorities. That's what he claimed he was doing in Abkhazia and, and South, of, South Ossetia. That's another theme that plays well, political theme that plays well with a number of constituencies inside Russia. All the Russians lost in the near abroad, in Transdenestria, trans, uh, in eastern Ukraine, in uh, Parts of Lithuanian and, and, and Latvia, uh, they're they're cut off and they need to be returned to the Russian motherland, or certainly they need to be protected by uh, uh, by the Kremlin. And that was one of the propaganda pitches in the Russo-Georgia War. Uh, side comment on this, Jim. The comment Jim said it's hard to tell how you know the real strength and status of the of Russian forces. They really didn't do very well in the Russo-Georgia War. Uh, they learned some things about it. Uh, they developed, you know, started to rely even more so on some of their special operations troops, even though they were used. Uh, he heavily in, in 2008, but they learned the, the, they learned some things about fighting a low-level war uh, under "quote unquote" what the Chinese call "informationized uh, uh, conditions." Obama is elected, and then when I say Vladimir Putin senses weakness, one of the first things Obama did in September of 2009 and I wrote a column about this at the time, was uh, give up a, a very important 
advance in anti-missile missile defenses that had been negotiated through NATO. There were going to be missiles in Poland and a, a long-range radar system in the Czech Republic. They were not aimed at Russia. It was for a shot from uh, another direction, meaning Iran is where uh, uh, it was. And Obama cashed them in. Why? Because he says he was resetting resetting relations with uh, uh, between the United States and Russia, as if the Bush administration had been responsible for Russia's invasion of, of Georgia. And that was really a capitulation to the propaganda line that the Kremlin, when Putin, uh, had been pushing. You see this going through, look, in 2012, Obama got caught with a hot mic in South Korea where he told Medvedev that, you know, he wanted to pass a message to Vladimir that he'd have more flexibility, he, Obama, after the election. Okay. So Vladimir is is Barack Obama's friend? No, he's not. He's a calculating uh, Russian authoritarian leader who... At the time, let's go back to 2012, 2013, Jim mentioned oil prices. It looks like the oil prices are going to be uh, high for a long time. Fair bet that, this is the Kremlin's thinking, that we can modernize our forces, we'll have the cash to do it. At some point, let's do something. And Putin, I think, got some of this at the time, but in retrospect, why Crimea? Crimea was something that the Russians wanted. They had been part of Russia until Khrushchev in 1954 gave it to Ukraine. Had didn't really have any defenses there. Russia already had 20,000 sailors and, and soldiers there because Sevastopol was released from uh, used released from Ukraine as the uh, Russian Navy's uh, Black Sea uh, base, uh, and he took it, and then he annexed it, and. Annexing it, as he did on March 18, 2014, suddenly changed something fundamentally in the way that uh, relations had been stabilized since the end of World War II. Yeah, there have been border scraps, fights over territory, but no one had annexed it. No one had gone that extra step. Well, Russia did it. He was praised in Red Square, and he was on top of the world. Except what kicks in? American fracking, oil prices, oil and gas prices start to fall. And then he goes too far, Jim alluded to this, with the uh, trying their hybrid war in Ukraine. Worked for a while, but since 2016, uh, early 2016, really, there has been very little change along the quote-unquote lines or line of destruction, if you look at some of the, uh, the photos. In the Donbass, uh, Donbass area, you could argue that Russia's stuck in a, in a quagmire. Jim's made that argument. I, I have as well. As a matter of fact, I've got in the Cocktails from Hell, I've got a, a couple of pages looking at, 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 at uh, the uh, quag quagmire, I'm putting that in italics, that Russia has enmeshed itself in Ukraine. Part of that quagmire is, as Jim said, sanctions. Sanctions have hurt the Russians as well. And there have been targeted sanctions, some by all members of the West, but by by the U.S. and Great Britain, because uh, Great Britain is one of the favorite places for Russian oligarchs to own 
real estate and go run and, and have a good time. Well, uh, they've blocked them out of that. It's also happened in France and and, and, and Italy as well. They want to uh, uh, corruptions, steal billions uh, from Russia, and then go have a, a great time and party on the French Riviera. Uh, those are the things that have had political effects within uh, uh, secondary uh, oligarchical circle uh, around Putin that runs uh, runs has holds power, holds sway in uh, in Russia. Uh, that's part of the fragility. And I'm, I'm giving an example here of, of, a, of a certain type of, of, of sanction, uh, travel, individual sanction, individual financial sanctions that has uh, ultimately eroded some of Putin's personal power and, and prestige uh, in Russia. He needs these people and they're crooked and the corruption all undermines him with uh, uh, vast swaths of the uh, uh, general population. One other comment, to uh, I mentioned the, the Nordics. Uh, Dan, because of Crimea and Ukraine, now Finland, which, you know, we've joked about this. It's not a joke. The Finns have one of the best <laughs> reputations, military reputations in the world. Uh, well, they've, they are a, a little warrior state like Israel and, and, and South, South Korea, and they, their reserves train all the time. Uh, they know who the enemy is, uh, and that's, uh, that, that's the Russians. They're Finns that talk in public now about joining NATO. That's a complete uh, rejection of, uh, of what Putin wanted, which was to diminish NATO. Sweden of all places. Uh, it's tough to get an exact grip on uh, on this, but there are a couple of Swedish, um, it was written, uh, written in English, uh, English language, but Swedish publications uh, looked at about 2017, 35% uh, of the country favored joining NATO. And there was, uh, this is not news. There were Swedes who will tell you we have been effectively cooperating with with NATO uh, for four decades, five decades, because of their contacts with the Danes, who are part of, of NATO, and the fact that Danish air controllers have provided the Swedish Air Force with essentially air defense information for years, and the Russians know that. And uh, the Swedes have acknowledged, uh, the Swedes have openly acknowledged that. And now, uh, what was it, Trident Juncture, which was the big NATO exercise last uh, uh, November, I believe, uh, winter exercise involved U.S. Marines and, and, and the like. Uh, Finland participated, and so did Sweden. That is an absolute blowback, and uh, I think Jim would agree, another example of where like, uh, uh, Vlad is flailing, or as I said, Vlad the imploder. Jim, where are some of the uh, areas in the world that the uh, Russians are stirring up problems or have caused problems currently? Well, it, it's deja vu to the Cold War. Uh, Syria, which was always a, uh, a major customer for Russian weapons, uh, the, uh, uh, at the, basically to uh, improve relations with Iran, 
which is still a uh, important, you know, oil state, as it were. Uh, Syria never was. Uh, Russia got involved in Syria in uh, 2015. Uh, they make no, uh, they make no uh, secret of the fact that they're there in large part to show off the uh, latest Russian weapons. They do have some new stuff, uh, especially electronic warfare and what have you, and, and, and mid-market, uh, you know, aircraft. Um, uh, they also had uh, smart bombs, uh, you know, uh, GPS and uh, laser-guided uh, uh, weapons, uh, which had never really been used in combat. We knew they existed, uh, and they showed they worked out. But at the same time that they basically... Uh, uh, turned uh, uh, Syria into a major, uh, how should I put it, marketing event for Russian weapons. They also uh, revealed just how poor the Russian military was. Yes, they had smart bombs, but they had very few of them. Most of the bombs dropped by the, these modern Russian aircraft, or modernized in many cases, uh, were dumb bombs because they simply didn't have that many smart bombs. And that came out. They tried to keep that secret, but there it was. They had no war stocks, as it were, of these, in these weapons. Uh, the aircraft performed fairly well. They also performed in an environment, a modern warfare environment. In other words, the Israelis were there. Uh, it's notable and we point this out again and again, that the uh, Russians maintain good relations uh, with uh, Israel, even though their ally, well, both their allies, Turkey and, uh, and Iran, are, are basically very anti-Israel. The Iranians, as we all know, uh, still you know, have demonstrations about you know, death to Israel, destroy Israel. The Turks uh, you know, basically got an Islamic government in, 1990, in, in 2000, 1999, um, uh, which was supposed to basically clean up the corruption and make things better again. Uh, it didn't, uh, and, but it basically uh, uh, ruined, uh, you know, decades of uh, Turkish diplomacy and economic relations with the West and with Israel in particular. Um, they, when, when push comes to shove, the Russians sided with Israel. Uh, and uh, that, that was embarrassing for them, but they basically knew, <laughs> you know, who was, the, who was the major power there. The rest of the Arab states did the same, uh, be, mainly because of the threat from Iran. Uh, they basically, uh, uh, they, no, they, they cut the Palestinians loose uh, for all practical purposes um, and said, you know, we're allies of, of Israel now. Uh, that was very difficult to do because, you know, for for decades, for generations, uh, these governments have been pumping out anti-Israel propaganda, and now they suddenly have to say, well, hey, we got it wrong, which is a big deal, you know, in that part of the world. Um, so the uh, the Israelis basically uh, showed the Russians that yes, their weapons were credible. But they weren't all that the sales brochures claimed they were. Um, and uh, basically, a lot of potential customers, not the Turks, of course, uh, picked up on that. Uh, that the uh, you know the Russian weapons weren't able to stop Israeli uh, you know air attacks, which were basically you know using American in, in this case you know most recently uh, F-35 stealth aircraft. Um, the uh, uh, the Russians were uh, rather proud of the fact that they showed off electronic warfare equipment, which basically nobody had paid any attention to. But even during the Cold War, we tended to downplay the impact of their, their quite credible electronic warfare weapons. Uh, so, you know, some things never change. But the 
uh, the problem is that the the uh, you know, the whole Syria intervention was a mirage. Same thing is going on down in Venezuela. Uh, Russia has tried to uh, make deals with uh, with Venezuela. hasn't loaned them that much money, uh, but they basically have a uh, an interest, as it were, in uh, in maintaining uh, good relations with a country that has the largest proven oil reserves on the planet. Uh, unfortunately, they also have a socialist government. And you know how that works out. The uh, Chinese, on the other hand, uh, have never sent troops to Venezuela. The Russians have sent some troops, uh, and they've also worked with the Cubans, who are doing most of the heavy lifting, as it were, in terms of uh, uh, shoring up uh, the you know the socialist government's you know security, which is rapidly you know eroding. Uh, but the Chinese are again showing that they're a lot smarter than the Russians are, or at least have have assets have capabilities that Russia does not have. They are basically there with uh, money more than anything else. Uh, most of the the foreign uh, loans uh, the Venezuela has incurred are to China. Uh, they are to be paid with in oil. And basically China is in there. They have been have been sending in uh, technical people and equipment and parts to basically repair a lot of the damage that the Maduro government did to their oil industry, basically you know, starving it for uh, all sorts of you know resources and replacing all the competent people with people who were loyal to Maduro. A classic mistake. Uh, the Chinese have pointed that out. The Chinese have also pointed out that they're willing to you know work with any government of uh, Venezuela. That annoys Maduro, but not so much that he's going to you know shut the Chinese down because they're one of his major allies. The Russians, on the other hand, want to be paid in cash, and there's been hanky-panky with the Russians trying to get you know uh, uh, some of the uh, Syrian gold reserves out of uh, the country uh, in order to pay for uh, last-ditch, as it were, you know, security assistance. Um, especially, most of this is being done via Cuba. I mean, Russia has always they, they basically cut off uh, Cuba and North Korea from their generous, you know, Cold War era. Um, uh, subsidies, which kept them going, um, caused economic collapse in North Korea and Cuba. But since then, Cuba's you know tried to recover, uh, and now they're depending upon China and Russia uh, to basically give them whatever they can, and in, especially restore a the socialist government in Venezuela. Uh, to you know, to power, to real power, uh, so that the uh, Venezuelans can keep giving the Russians cheap oil and keeping their uh, you know uh, government or their economy going. This is most people don't pay attention to this, but with the uh, decline of the Venezuelan economy, uh, you know, uh, it was even worse in uh, in Cuba because Cubans still depended a lot on basically handouts. Uh, from uh, from Venezuela, and they are largely gone uh, because you know the, the Venezuela is flat broke and then some. Uh, so you know that's a that's a foreign adventure that the Russians you know tried. Uh, they they basically presented as with as brave a face as they can muster, but it's basically a disaster and it's only going to get worse. But they the t- the problem is they don't have many options. Uh, they don't have any friends. I mean, you know, uh, the Kim Jong Un, the uh, the leader of North Korea, is, is going to Russia. Uh, you know, before the end of this month, the latest news is uh, to to meet with Putin. But there's not much Putin can do. Uh, he can help him get around sanctions. Uh, 
uh, on on North Korea. Uh, But even there, Russia is limited because they have a much smaller economy. Uh, They are also under sanctions. Uh, The United States has shown that we can impose more sanctions. The the individual sanctions, as Austin pointed out, are particularly harmful. They basically hit you where you live because a lot of these oligarchs, and the people who basically technically own and, and operate the majority of uh, you know the Russian uh, economy, the, the major industries, especially oil and energy related, uh, they basically want an escape hatch. I mean, what's the good of having all that money if it's all going to blow up and you're going to end up you know dead? Uh, so they need that lifeline, you know, to especially to Britain or anywhere in the West where things go, you know, uh, tits up, as it were, uh, uh, there's there's an escape hatch. You know, they, they know what happened to the aristocracy, and, you know, in, in, the, in the 1920s after World War One, and uh, that is not forgotten. Um, so the, uh, the, you know, the uh, Russia would like to have more influence in foreign countries, but its only allies are basically a sad sack collection of failures. You know, Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea, you know, with friends like that, who needs enemies? And then, of course, there's Iran and Turkey, which are sort of friendly. Uh, Iran has historically been an enemy. They still are in terms of, you know, what the Iranians think of Russia. Um, and, uh, and it's basically a very tenuous relationship, uh, mainly because uh, 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 Iran needed support, military support in, uh, in Syria, where they could provide an army of basically uh, lightly equipped uh, infantry, mercenary infantry that the Iranians recruited, uh, but they had no air support, and that's what the Russians provided, and that was essential. Um, but, the, you know, the, the Iranians would, would much rather be, you know, cursing out Russia uh, than gritting their teeth and, and calling them our allies and our friends, and etc. So Russia has no allies. It has no successful foreign adventures, as it were. Uh, it tried to basically regain its uh, position uh, of, uh, actually, put influence in the in the in the stands, the five nations that were created out of Central Asia when the Soviet Union broke up. But that was a failure because Russia had the money. I mean, China had the money. China was basically spending it, investing it. Uh, and even in in, uh, in the Russian Far East, you know, Vladivostok and all those areas around Manchuria, uh, <clears throat> the uh, the Russians uh, could not keep the Chinese out. The Chinese, you know, economic invaders, as it were. Uh, if you want, you know, uh, cheap, uh, you know, fairly high quality goods, you buy Chinese. Uh, the Chinese uh, will bring in their own workers. Uh, uh, and, and there's a huge labor shortage in the Russian Far East because Russians never wanted to live there in a big way. Uh, so you have you know, basically the Chinese are going to take over the Russian Far East without an invasion because they're basically buying it. Uh, they're taking it over economically, and one day they'll simply you know tell uh, tell Russia you know you don't want to run this place. What are you going to do about it? And there's not much they can do. So the Russian foreign policy, <clears throat> in real terms, has been a disaster. Uh, they have no allies. They have no real friends. Um, and all, but the only thing Putin's got going is this: he, he basically stoked the flames of rebuild our empire, and that's not going to happen. Austin, you talked a little bit about the Ukraine. Would you like to cover a couple of other areas? Uh, I think Jim hit the essential parts in Syria. I mean, that that's certainly uh, uh, an active uh, theater. Uh, 
the, the attempts uh, to undermine metal, M-E-D-D-L-E, which is a, a word we've applied to Iran, but also applied to, uh, to Russia, to uh, at, at subversion. In some ways, uh, Putin is continuing Soviet-era subversion uh, in the in the West. That, that's that's uh, something the Nordics, Norway, uh, and Sweden use that uh, use that term. Estonia uh, uh, uses it. The, the Poles do as well. As a matter of fact, Theresa May. Uh, pointed that out in the attempted assassination using chemical weapons that occurred on on uh, 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 British territory. Uh, <laughs> Leaders to say that was that's classic KGB type wet work uh, in the West. Wet meaning a way that there uh, assassination uh, blood, but in this case, of course, they were using a <laughs> a chemical weapon, a chemical attack on British soil. Uh, the uh, Russia uh, uh, involvement in, in American elections in 2016, uh, subversion attempt, attempt to create as much chaos and animosity uh, in the American body politic as possible. Uh, that was a pretty successful operation in, in many ways. Play both sides against the middle, especially if you can co-opt the media, uh, the major media, which was co-opted. Uh, that's that is going to become uh, in, uh, increasingly evident. Uh, uh, I think throughout this year and uh, into uh, into 2020, but then co-optation of American media by the Kremlin is not anything new. Remember 1983 and the so-called Euro missile crisis, which really was stirred up by the Soviet Union by by the Kremlin by deploying SS-20 triple warhead missiles. But the way it was flipped in a lot of major media in the U.S. is that Ronald Reagan was trying to start a nuclear war in Europe, which was just pure de hokum. And then you think about, uh, if you're aware aware of it, uh, was it Walter Durante? That was the fellow's name, wasn't it, Jim? I don't yes. have that. Yeah, no okay. surprise winner, Jim, Durante. Jim, yeah. Jim's right on time. Okay, I, I, I was sure this. Heck, I've actually written about it, but I hadn't, and, and I, I mentioned it in Cocktails from Hell. But uh, he, he won a Pulitzer Prize for uh, covering, actually covering up, the starvation of Ukrainians and other small uh, farmers and, and landholders uh, in, uh, in the Soviet Union. Uh, he was reporting for the New York Times. That complete co-optation. Uh, Br- the British figured it out. Tried to say something about it. I mean, and, and uh, Durante apparently, I mean, this is, I don't think it's anecdotal. It's pretty good evidence that Durante even admitted it to a, a British foreign office official in, 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 uh, in, in, in Moscow. So they, the, the Russians have been trying to subvert and undermine the United States, uh, well, possibly since the 1920 election. But that's certainly active in, in the 1930s uh, on uh, in, here in the U.S. 2016 wasn't uh, really anything different except uh, it was uh, – uh, uh, actually, it wasn't anything different. Well, trying to uh, sow uh, discord and uh, doubt – Doubt about the integrity of the American uh, electoral system. Uh, there is no integrity in the Russian system. There is in the U.S., but uh, the, it was a, psychologi- a psychological attack. So we're, that is something that goes on in – if I said it was in two dozen countries, I'm probably uh, underestimating it by half. Uh, uh, <laughs> four dozen, 50, the Russians have a finger – uh, in, sub, in subversive uh, activity. Venezuela is a Russian 
uh, theater of operations because uh, allegedly there are a hundred, no, not allegedly, it's the State Department told uh, Russia, uh, let's see, it was either last weekend, or maybe it was on, on uh, this past Sunday, uh, to get their hundred special operations troops out. Uh, there are also some mercenaries in there, I believe. You know, well, they're they're what are they? Contractors is what the term the Russians uh, uh, Russians use. They're, most of those you know, fellows, from what we can tell, are are uh, former Russian uh, um, senior security personnel or special operations uh, forces. So that is a. Uh, that's another place uh, that uh, uh, they're operating. And then Central African Republic. How could I leave that out, Mr. Dunnigan? You know I'm not going to. There's no way. All right, that look. Most of, the military, most of the military contractors, which they even had to use in, in Syria. They're not. They're not all military contractors. There are Russian personnel in there, uh, a, hand, uh, a handful. There are a couple of reports on that. I believe I read one uh, on Reuters, and it's – it's within the last two weeks, but I think the that 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 because there is a, a, a there is a base on a former government uh, car government. Uh, I, I don't know how to, how it was described. A, a well a, a land owned by the car government with some buildings on it that is in Bangui that is being used as a Russian military. A uh, training, uh, uh, training facility. Now, I know it's mostly contractors. I agree with that. But there are Russian military personnel in the Central African Republic. Uh, so there's another uh, theater of operations for you, um, uh, Dan. Uh, why there? Well, th a lot of chaos there. That might be a place where they could sell some weapons there. Uh, it's... One of the jokes about the Central African Republic is there is no there there. Well, there is. Uh, it's a lot of suffering and ter a terrible chaos. There's also a, a UN um, uh, peacekeeping force there, MINUSCO, uh, which uh, I write about it every so often. I mention it at least in the Congo and Central Africa uh, uh, update. If I start Jim's already mentioned their their cooperation uh, with Iran, and they they're still active in, in elsewhere in the near abroad, Transnistria, uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, two months ago, there were even talks about the Russian subversion in Belarus. You know, the the white Russians, their ethnic kin. Uh, why? Well, if you let's go back to something that shows up on strategy page quite a bit, the Rubik. Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan. Now, I I first used that as a quip in a couple of speeches I gave in the 90s, though it was based on something that Jim and I did when we were gaming a, a revitalized Soviet Union for, I think it was the second edition of uh, A Quick and Dirty Guide to, uh, a Guide to War, which came out about the time right after the Soviet Union uh, uh, fell apart. But if you were want a global superpower, you want Russia's resources, Ukraine's agricultural and, uh, and industrial resources, Kazakhstan, additional uh, uh, oil, and, uh, oil and gas and also population, and Belarus, uh, more people. You have enough people and enough the broad range of power to, to be uh, a uh, credible global ca uh, power. And, of course, it's a bad joke because it's like Rubik's Cube, that old puzzle. R-U-B-I-K is what it was. You move it around and you, you solve the puzzle. Well, to rebuild uh, a Russian global 
incredible, a great power. Uh, you got you got a puzzle to solve. And as Jim has pointed out, and I have, uh, Vlad has not solved that puzzle. But uh, Belarus would be, uh, as I, I said, part of, uh, of solving the puzzle of, of returning Russia to full great power status. Well, I guess we'll watch the uh, last chapters here of the decline of uh, uh, Vlad the imploder. I like uh, that. Did you like that joke? <laughs> yeah, I do. So I we'll uh, talk to you both later. All right. Bye, guys. Indeed. Bye. Take care.